And welcome to Rock Paper Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. And my name is Stephen A. McKay. We're both best-selling historical fiction authors, and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV and games. Oh, and we also talk about rock music from time to time. For weeks now, the supermarkets have been stocking ghostly decorations and all manner of ghoulish tat. And of course, that modern symbol of Halloween, the pumpkin. All Hallows' Eve is almost upon us, and today we're going to talk about some of the history behind the festival and also highlight a couple of our books that are spooky and perfect for this time of year as the nights draw in. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. H.P. Lovecraft. Mm, I thought you'd like that quote. I think I used one of his quotes. Actually, it's probably in Night of the Cross. It is. that Not that yeah. quote. But, no, it's um, one of his. Mm. So, the history of Halloween first. Mm-hmm. What do you know about the history of Halloween, Stephen? Well, this is when the souls cross over at the autumn, turning into winter, and nature's dying off, and people are dying off, and their souls are then going to go to... Wherever, the so other is that, side. Is that, is that Sam, Samhain? I don't hear oh, come on, Matthew. Samhain. Matthew, come on. It? You do not pronounce it Tell Samhain. me how you pronounce it. Samhain. Samhain. I think in go. England it's uh, Sohan or Sohan. Samhain okay. or Sohan, that is. Okay, but, but written Samhain. Yeah, Samhain, it's bizarre. Uh, I don't know where they've come up with this pronunciation, but apparently... Gaelic or whatever the so origin. So Samhain. Samhain, yeah, but it, okay. it feels bizarre. I would say Samhain as well. So Samhain. Let's let's call it Samhain now. That's okay. We'll call if it. If you that. can remember, yep. I can remember. So it's the end of the harvest. Is this like where we think that Halloween started with Samhain? Yeah, it's supposed to be that, uh, as you say, the harvest ends. So it's, it's, it's basically everything's ending and dying off for winter to come in and apparently the souls would also congregate about this time and before they moved over to the other side or whatever so i have a note here about something called lemuria what what is lemuria do you know about that no i'm surprised you wrote that down was that not an invention of some crazy guy around about the 1940s well apparently um, the Lemuralia or Lemuria was a feast in the religion of ancient Rome during which the Romans performed rites to exorcise the malevolent and fear- fearful ghosts of the dead from their homes. Um, so um, well, the feast, though, was in May. So it was not, um, it was not at the time of the mm. harvest. So, so it was a... Similar sort of idea to the Samhain thing of yeah, that would be more like ghoulies, but that would be more of a Beltane type. So is that pronounced Beltane? It's not pronounced Bellin. (laughs) No, it's definitely Beltane because there's a Jethro Tull song that that's a chorus. I don't understand why the A I N in that is pronounced Ain, but it's not in Samhain. Samhain, Samhain. Maybe it's a H, and there's an E at the end of Beltane as well. Usually, Mm. I I think you have it. I think you're having me on. About the pronunciation. Well, I'm no expert. Yeah, well, that's not as what I you, say, you always tell me you're an expert in everything. That's what I tell my kids as well, but they've come to realise it's untruthful. <laughs> it's <not> true. <laughs> so the 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 so we've got the beginning of winter, the end of the harvest, the boundary between the worlds thinning, mm-hmm. um, and there were common things in the let's call it Celtic period. I know some people would say it's not really Celtic, but the old Britons um, had bonfires and all sorts of things going on then. Yeah, I think it was probably an excuse to tell scary stories as well. You know, like Beowulf, which we'll get into in a bit. You know, it's it a, a dark time of year after summer, and it's nice to kind of scare yourself at times. So that was probably just the feast where you would do that rather than give gifts or celebrate new life. Do you think people like being scared then? Well, I don't personally really like 
I mean, I'll, I'm a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, but I don't find these stories scary. I just find them interesting. But a lot of people love horror movies. I don't. But... No, I'm, I'm not a particular fan of horror movies, but but you're right. It's very, very popular. And I do wonder, mm-hmm. though, if throughout history that's been a, a running theme, that people have just enjoyed being scared. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I, I listen to spooky podcasts all day about ghosts and stuff like that. So I do, to an extent, enjoy being scared and the fear of the unknown and fear of death and what's to come afterwards and stuff like that. I think everybody has that kind of fear. Mm. So the, I know I keep saying so, you hate it when I keep, when I do that, but I can't no, no, help I myself. I only hate it when I have to edit a part. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and you say so at the start of it, it doesn't fit with it because you've not, you know, it's a jarring. Yes, yeah. I will. So you say so as much as you like, unless there's a break. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Don't mention it. <laughs> so, so um, <laughs> now I don't know what to say. Just, just say so. <laughs> just say you so. You will anyway. <laughs> it's true. Well, then. The, the name, well, then. The name Halloween, of course, comes from All Hallows. Eve, um, which is the day before um, All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. Um, so it's like the, the contraction of All Hallows Evening. This, of course, is a Christian festival. So the Christians, as they did with everything from um, Easter to Christmas, they stole the um, Samhain festival and said, we'll have that. Mm. We'll make it. Um, we'll make it one of ours now, and so it becomes the night before the celebration of All Hallows Day, um, or, or is it also known as um, All All Saints Day as well? Yeah, it's known. So, um, in Spain, I'm thinking because I lived in Spain for a long time. What they call it? Um, I think it's All Saints Day, and uh, the All Hallows. Anyway, yeah, Dia de los, de los Santos, it is, yeah. Um, so it's an interesting time of spookiness. And whereabouts did the whole pumpkin carving coming from come from? Because that is something which, of course, now is everywhere. Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, that's the word. Well, I think, just like Christianity, this was down to those other well-known rip-off merchants, the Americans. <laughs> who stole the, well, in Scotland and Ireland, I'm led to believe, they used to carve turnips. Because obviously we never had pumpkins in this country, so we had to use that other well-known, easy-to-carve vegetable turnip. You've obviously never tried to carve a turnip, Matthew. You would have laughed hysterically there. I've never tried to, to carve a pumpkin, but I do know they're incredible. Sorry, a turnip. A, a, a turnip. I've, I actually have carved a pumpkin, but I don't think I've ever carved a turnip, but I know that turnips are like rock. I yeah, they're extremely different. hard, which I never realised. I'm sure I did it with my kids. Uh, I don't know why. I must have just been nostalgic for the days when I was small and my mum made us uh, do turnips. Well, she did it anyway. Um, and it's incredibly difficult. You would not believe how hard it is. To are they not hollow either, are they? So no, well, neither are pumpkins. But you can just scoop them out. Well, the uh, pumpkins just you just pump you 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 scoop out all the seeds, and so yeah, they're basically yeah, hollow. it's messy, but it's it's fairly easy. Yeah. Whereas a turnip's basically just rock solid, solid. Yeah, so you yeah. have to cut the whole thing out with a knife, and it, it's not as easy as it sounds. And then try and carve a face in, which again is much harder than a soft pumpkin. But the, that was. Started. I'm not sure if I think it was Irish. So I've got this. I had a wee look earlier. Apparently, there was somebody called Stingy Jack, Stingy uh, Jack. who couldn't get into heaven or hell for some reason. And he, I don't know why, but he was cursed to wander the earth because he couldn't get into either of these places. So he would want Stingy Jack would wander the earth, and the Irish people would carve these turnips um, to scare them off, basically. So that that's where the Jack O' Lantern. Yeah, I suppose it would be. Comes uh, from it must be. Yeah. Uh huh. Although that sounds American as well, doesn't it? But uh, I don't know about that. It must be that. Yeah. No, I, well, I looked. I looked that up actually. And it was the you know it's the Jack of the Lantern is the thing, and it comes from the same sort of thing of willow wisps, mm-hmm. um, which is just that contraction, of course, of the, of. the 
yeah, of the or whatever. So you've got the Will of the Wisp and the Jack o' Lantern. Yeah, and it's the these lanterns that um are made out of turnips originally to scare off, as you say. And was it stingy stingy jack? Stingy jack. As yeah. otherwise known as stinky jack, I think sounds better. I think we should well, I, I, I don't know. Does stingy mean the same to you as it does it, to me? It, to me it means someone who who won't pay for things, yeah. Yeah, I I'm, I'm never sure with the, the meanings of words uh being the same in Scotland as they are in other places because this is one of the we call it guising up here when kids go to doors, dress up and go to doors. And, whereas everybody else now calls it trick-or-treat, and so do we usually now, but guising apparently is really a Scottish thing as well. Ah. We're, the, we're the only ones apparently that call it guising. So that's because you are disguised? I would think so. That seems the obvious answer. That's interesting. Yes, there's a thing in mumming is, mm. is the mm. term used... This is um, Ireland, Scotland. Oh, I'm just looking here at something saying mumming and guising. Um, but I don't know if, if the guising is, is what it's called in Ireland as well. You think it's only Scotland? Well, it might be Ireland as well, because we're obviously very close and we yeah. share. Well, we, a lot of them come over here and stuff, and we've, you know, we do have a lot of shared culture. So I probably as Irish as well. So the mumming and the guising is going around to people's houses dressed up. And scaring and I, them, I guess. Well, yeah, it's to scare them, I think, now. But originally, I think it was to hide from or to scare evil spirits. You know, these spirits that haven't crossed over yet, that are hanging around on Halloween night. So to scare them off, you dress up as something extra scary. Or, or, or to disguise yourself so that they don't know who you are. I, don't, I assume it's people that have done a lot of bad stuff in their life that they're having to disguise themselves from all these dead people that are coming to get them. Maybe, unless the dead people are just wandering around getting anybody. So, well, How would a disguise help you then? Because they're not, cause then they think you're one of the ghosts. So they don't get you, then mm, you get the living. Maybe. So they're not actually targeting you. They're just going for anybody. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's the theory, I'm guessing. Evil, evil bastards. Evil, evil stalks the land. Mm. So this time of the, the, the mumming or, or guising, um, I'm reading here that um, often it includes uh, a man dressed up as a white horse or a white mare originally, and maybe not so much now, although I think it still happens in certain villages. Um, and I can't even begin to try to pronounce what this is because I'm pronouncing it wrong, but um, L-A-I-R and then B-H-A-N. So I'm guessing this is from Ireland. Right. So Larvan or something, yeah, something like that. And so they would, the the youths would lead this uh, horseman, white mare, around house to house, reciting verses, some of which were pagan, um, and then in exchange for food. So it's a bit like the trick or treating thing. So you turn up and sing a song or something and get some food. And if the household donated food then they could expect to receive um, good fortune. But if you didn't, you'd get bad luck, a misfortune. So mm-hmm. you know, it's just trick-or-treating. Well, yeah, you would get the misfortune of the kids coming back later and TP in your house. <laughs> Does that really happen? I know it happens in America. We see it in American movies. Um this thing know. of throwing toilet paper all over someone's house. I've never seen it happen. I don't think I've ever seen I've seen the egging in Scotland. Egging, I've seen, yeah. Yeah, that's happened because there's actually a guy in my village. I, I don't know his name, so I kind of get any libel or anything, but uh, he got arrested because somebody egged his house, teenagers, and they went out and punched him. Oh, wow. That was just down the road from me. So I know egging happens, so I'd imagine TPing does happen as well. Wow. There you go. So lesson to be learned. If your house gets egged, don't go and punch the people responsible. So another thing that was um, interesting at this time of year was another thing about the the thinning of the the veil between the worlds um, was about, it was a period of when you could divine things of the future, um, apparently. So this sort of divination so you, you could divine things to, to ward off and ward off evil spirits, and there was um, there were rituals, but then also games. It says in Scotland they'd have divination games, 
were later banned by the church in some parishes because, of course, the church is not really into Fun. divination at all. But yeah, the divining thing seems to have gone on for a long time. There's even um, there's greeting cards from the early 20th century with um, divination. On Halloween, look in the glass, your future husband's face will pass. So hmm. looking in a mirror and seeing you can divine things. So I have to tell you that. Things like you know, maybe you'll see your husband. And so bobbing apples apparently comes from um is it is a divination game. So do you do that in England? I haven't done it um uh, I haven't been to any sort of Halloween things for for a while, but when, when I was a kid I do remember mm. doing apple bobbing as a thing. So if anyone's listening who hasn't who doesn't know what that is, you basically have a big thing bucket or bowl or something with water but big um, and you have apples floating in it you have to without using your hands using only your mouth pick up an apple basically and get an apple out of the the water i don't think that's how we do it how do you do it i remember dropping a fork from your teeth to wow. try and spear the, the well, apples that's very weird although we've now got a blow up uh apple bobbing thing in the shape of a coffin you wouldn't want to drop a fork in that, so maybe you do do it with your mouth. Well, I don't know. I'd kind of stay out the road when all that's going on and the people are coming to the door <laughs> and that, because obviously, as you know, I'm extremely antisocial. <laughs> well, you're just there to punch them if they TP your house. You're just <laughs> ready in the background, ready yeah. to leap out. Kill somebody. Get off my land. <laughs> well, apparently the... Um... Apparently, apples in Celtic mythology are strongly associated with the other world and immortality, um, which is where, which is why they've remained as part of the sort of the rituals of of Halloween. All these cultures, ours anyway, have so many things, so many feast days, so many evil spirits hanging around the place, and ways to get rid of them. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up that. Yeah, I guess it's. Um... <laughs> I'm just thinking it's you can yeah, it's like whack a mole then with um with the with the beasties. Different, all the different methods to get rid of coming out. Yeah. So in my uh, in my um, in depth research into Halloween, which not that in depth. Wikipedia. Um, um, let's not mention where my research took place because it's highly secret. I like to keep, you know, I like to keep my sources secret, mm-hmm. um, and I believe nobody else knows of the, you know, the source that I use. So, thing though that um, another Halloween type ritual or practice that happens around the last, apparently the last Thursday of October in Somerset, and as I'm living very near Somerset, I live really close to the border of Somerset. In fact, when I used to drive to Bath to work, I had to drive, I went from Wiltshire into Somerset and then into into Bath. Um, the So there's a thing called Punky Night, and I've never, ever heard of this. I've been living here for 20 years. I've never heard Punky Night, but I did like the name. Was well, that a Sex Pistols gig? <laughs> well, that's what I think. So apparently children would march around with a jack-o'-lantern singing the following song and i don't know the tune to the song which is a pity because otherwise i would sing it with the tune (laughs) but the words are it's punky night tonight it's punky night tonight adam and eve would not believe it's punky night tonight genius it's genius i'm I'm, I'm crying now (laughs) so if you could write a tune to that uh, we can sing it later there are some other variants which include these lines Give me a candle, give me a light. If you don't, you'll get a fright. And that doesn't. <laughs> well, quite I thought that was scam. going a different direction. Yeah, I know. yeah you're a pilot shite. Or Some, something like that. exactly. Yeah, I can or, just imagine Johnny Rotten singing this. Or alternatively, <laughs> give me a candle, give me a light. If you haven't a candle, a penny's all right. That one scans better. That scans better than mm. the other one. So the origins for this custom are not known. But the word punky is an old English name for lantern. So it could be. um, Dates back to there. And apparently it wasn't just um, turnips. It was also mangle wurzels were used instead of pumpkins. What's a mangle wurzel? (coughs) It sounds very rustic. It does sound really rustic, doesn't it? 
What's a, I'm going to have to quickly... Um... Well, I know what a mangle is, and Wurzel used to be the guitarist in Motorhead. <laughs> I'm just going to have to look in my... Um, uh, this this place that I research, which will not be named. It's um, Mangle Wurzel, or Mangold Wurzel, which comes from the German. Mangle, oh, it's charred, and Wurzel is root. Also known as Mangold, Mangle Beat, Field Beat, Fodder Beat. Wow, an archaic root of scarcity. I like that one. Um, it's a cultivated root vegetable. It looks very similar to a swede to me. It's a beet, basically. Uh, I was on so. a beetroot or something. Yeah, so did like they maybe carve sort of them? So they used to carve them as well. Oh, so it right. says um, they used them for all sorts of things. They used them for sport, apparently, in England, um, for mangold hurling. Well, it's better than eating them. Probably. In 1830, <laughs> Scottish cookbook, The Practice of Cookery, included a recipe for a beer made with mangelwurzel. Oh, this is, if, if we can get rock music in here, is where we've got all of the things we love. <laughs> it's history, rock, you know, history and food and beer and a bit of rock music. Not really, beat so. I had them when I was a child and I was sick straight yeah. after. In 19th century American usage, mangle beets were sometimes referred to as mango. There you go. And, um, during the Irish famine, um, of the potato famine of the mm-hmm. uh, mid nineteenth century, um, just uh, something happened. Something happened. Well, something happened then. Yeah, something stuff here. Something happened about people growing some mangle wurzels. I don't know what. I can't be bothered to read it. All. Instead of potatoes. Instead of potatoes, I'm guessing. So there you go, mangle wurzels and punky night. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm. Don't know if you've ever heard of Punky Night before. I never had. No, I never have. Well, you have now. What about the dance macabre? Have you heard of that? Yes, in various ways. I never realised it was like some kind of French opera or something. Uh, There's various rock bands or heavy metal bands have had albums and songs called uh, Iron Maiden. I've got Dance of Death, which has got the worst cover art ever. And uh, there's some other bands have albums named after it. And there's even an episode of The Prisoner, which I'm sure is, well, it's called Dance of Death as well. But I don't think any of them have got anything to do with what you're talking about. Well, what am I talking about? Well, this, this is, is supposed to be where death plays a fiddle, apparently, and the skeletons all come out their grave and dance to it. This seems to be the thing, yeah. And the living would join in oh. and be taken away and they would die as well, I suppose. <laughs> until until the next year. Yeah, the dance macabre is sometimes enacted in European village pageants and court masks with people dressing up as corpses from various strata of society. Wow. See, this is more like modern Halloween. People dressing up like skeletons, corpses, zombies... You know, rather than just uh, doing punky night. Punky night, yeah. I like I like the idea of punky night. I'm going to do a bit of punky just night. Carry, carrying around a beetroot with a candle in it. A mangle, a mangle wurzel. I love <laughs> the, the name mangle wurzel. That's going to be a character in one of my books now. <laughs> We're going to move on to talk about some books. And you've mentioned, both of us have mentioned a couple of times, um, H.P. Lovecraft. And I know he's been uh, inspirational to you and in your own spooky offering, which we're going to talk about, which is Night of the Cross, which is a fantastic, I may, if I may say so, um, a fantastic do. novella. It's fantastic. Wonderful. And it's good enough, folks, that I listened to the audiobook Back when it was originally um, new and shiny, which was probably six years ago or something. Eight, I think. Eight years ago. And now I re-listened to it this week and I enjoyed it just as much the second time around. So shows that my memory is not what it was or that I kind of had an inkling of where things were going this time because obviously I didn't completely forget it. But yeah, it's great. Short to the point, packs an epic punch. So I'm glad, glad you liked it. Said, oh, in fact, it was me. <laughs> it's not what you said. Is that your... something like that? Yeah, that's my quote. It's packs... something like um, it's a, 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 a short story that packs an epic punch or something. Yeah, that does something like that. Uh-huh. 
But I'm glad you liked it. Um, I never I really, really thought it. it was that good. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed um, it. And, and in fact, it's um, if if you hadn't written that, I probably would not have written my only published novella, which was actually as a result of me reading yours and thinking, well, that's a good idea. I'm going to do something similar, which we'll, we'll move on to talk about that in a minute. But yeah, We're talking about both of these, yeah. Yeah, but um, so Night of the Cross, do you want to give people a, a little background of what it's about? I don't really remember it myself, to be to honest. Tell, because it was, yeah, you probably, it's fresh you on your because... mind. I said that I never liked it that much. It, it, just, it was a very hard book to write for some reason. I don't really, I think it was just, I was working full time at the time. Uh, my son must have just been born and my daughter would have been seven or so at the time. So I was really tired all the time. And I distinctly remember trying to write that book and falling asleep and stuff while I was doing it. So I just had a really hard time writing it and I had to do a huge amount of editing to it, even though it was a short novel, a novella. It was just a hard, hard book to write. So I'm really proud of how it came out. And I think there's some really good ideas in it and it's a good story, but it's always been one that it's like the lowest ranked of all my my stories, basically. On in your, Amazon, in you your mind or from other people? No, from like the star ratings. You know, really? it's like 4.1 or something compared but, to other ones. But do you think that's because it's not strict historical fiction? Well, there's partially that as well, yeah, because a lot of people just do not understand it. And Well, I think people, I, I can imagine some readers that like historical fiction would read it and go, oh, this is too close to fantasy. I don't mm. like it because because yeah. I've had... Similar comments to, to to my novella, Kin of Cain, which which I wrote as a result of reading yours. Um, yeah, people, yeah, that, that, that people are a bit not really interested in the genre bending, but I I really enjoyed it, and I think, I mean, yours is more overtly fantasy than than mine. Yeah, there's horror, the, I mean, I think there's a monster fantasy. and stuff yeah, in it. Well, in fact, yours has as well. Yeah, but in well, without giving too much away, I mean, mine is is all explained by. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh huh. It's, it's it's real but it's spooky isn't it but but yours you've got to so let me rewind it's um so it doesn't come across that it was difficult to write at all it it, it reads really well um and the guy who does the narration on the audiobook for the most part great there's only a couple of moments i thought oh he's pronounced that word weird which i always have with him that particular <laughs> guy i remember something else and he pronounced the word funny in one of your other books i can't remember which one it was um but is good though. He gives you know he gives a good performance, and I, I enjoyed it. And so it's set in the island of Rhodes, and it's the Knights of Spitler who have taken over the island. I had to do a huge amount of research for it as well. Well, I can imagine. How short it is because I don't know anything about Rhodes. Well, this is it, and I can imagine. And this is what's happening to me with the books that I'm with the novels that I'm writing at the moment because I've got people they've gone to Norway and I've never been to Norway and now I'm in mm. I've written a book about France and I don't really know anything about France now we're in um the south of Spain and I, I don't know the, the history of that area so with each book when you move to a different location it becomes a real headache there's a lot of research that's that's needed but you know I guess that's part of the challenge but but it, it it's great it reads really well so they've come there and they've discovered so that there's a character Sir Richard I can't remember his surname but Lee at, at Lee, is it? yeah, he's from Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah. So Sir Richard at Lee, um, and he's a Knights of Spitaler, and he's a character from from one of your Robin Hood books. Yeah, the whole series. Well, yeah, over the whole does. series, and he's when he's not in the whole series. No, I forgot about that. Don't <laughs> want to spoil it, but no, yeah. he's not. <laughs> but but okay, so but but it's like a it's it's a prequel to that. So it's um, his life before he goes to 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 England and ends up encountering Robin Hood and all of that. Yeah, he's involved in this strange satanic stuff that's going on so the book starts where this men have gone missing have been spirited away and taken away and it's all very spooky and they send richard to go and investigate with one of the sergeants at arms and they go off to this village to investigate and the story continues from there and they investigate and get embroiled in the skullduggery of the evil Satanic people. I mean, I don't know. I don't I'm want to give satanic. too much away. They're not satanic. Not satanic. Yeah. Well, they're well, they're worshiping a sort of demon-ish thing. They would, have, they would have thought they were satanic. I'm guessing. Really. Suppose, yeah, to a Christian, I suppose it would be. And and even to the people doing the worshiping, if it's what century is it? Like 14th century. Yeah, 13th? 14th. They would have. It would have all been. It was witchcraft, some sort of thing. Anyway, so yeah, Dagon. Yeah, but it's Dagon rather than yeah, Satan, yeah. who is actually a fish god. 
uh, from the, the, I'm not even sure that the Mesopotamia or somewhere. Yeah, exactly or, that. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure it is Mesopotamian. Oh. <clears throat> which which links into H.P. Lovecraft because H.P. Lovecraft uses well, he's all one of these the, names. Yeah, of... he's one of the names from H.P. Lovecraft. But he stole that one. He, he often makes up names like Cthulhu that are unpronounceable by humans. Yeah, Dagon is one of his, but he did take it from there. So that's your nod to to H.P. Lovecraft and his otherworldly creatures and so they're trying to summon this 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 evil god basically and or mm-hmm. whatever he is spirit being um and yeah it's it's great it's, it's really very very atmospheric very spooky you kind of you know it's short so you sort of know that it's going to come to a it's going to come to a climax quite quickly um but i you know i enjoyed the fact that i could just drop in and in a couple of hours you know the story was done but I have some questions for you about it. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend to anyone listening, if you want a really short, punchy, scary tale, I won't tell any more about what's going on and you know how it all resolves, you can read it. But um, there's some things that you mentioned in there. You've got this mention of, sort of there's lots of people in the village that have got their, their eyes are all black and weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that linked to some actual thing? Well, yes. I think it's probably just an internet phenomenon and it's not real. But apparently it's real that there's these black-eyed children mm-hmm. that go around to people's doors. So you'll be lying in your bed sleeping one night and there'll be a chap at the door and you'll go down and there'll be two children there wanting you to invite them in because they're lost. You know, this is like three in the morning. And apparently this has happened to, to people in real life. But then the homeowner will notice that they've got these completely black eyes and they'll suddenly become terrified and they'll shut the door and the kids will be outside shouting, please let us in, please let us in. And obviously if you let them in, bad stuff will happen. Sounds terrifying. Yeah, they're really interesting stories. And if you believe them, it's terrifying. I don't <laughs> I don't personally believe them. I think it's just another internet creation like Slenderman, mm-hmm. who was actually supposed to be in that book, but I thought it was a step too far with the internet age. But the black-eyed people... Or just my nod to modern folklore with the internet and taking it back to add it into medieval folklore. I thought it was quite an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely people with eyes which are, you know, pupils are hugely dilated or whatever. Scary. Scary to look mm-hmm. at and weird and otherworldly. And also there could be um, explanations. I'm not um, sure. Which, I'm not sure I if think there you, is I think, I think you explain it in the book, actually. Someone... Someone maybe who's, that, maybe that you, 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 well, I, I won't. I don't remember, to be honest. If there's, a, if there's a natural explanation. There is, the, there's remember. an explanation of, because I think the implication is that the real Dagon worshippers have got this sort of thing going on mm. because of the rituals they're performing or some something. But someone else, uh, they, they mentioned they Belladonna or something in some bits. So I don't know. I'm. I think I use Belladonna for a lot of stuff in my books. Yeah, I just use Belladonna. Well, Belladonna does make your pupils dilate. So women used to use it to make their pupils dilate. So they used to actually drop it into their eyes, um, uh, Belladonna. I mean, it's called Belladonna because it's because it means beautiful woman. Right. Because it's a beautiful lady right. because it makes ladies right. beautiful with their eyes. But anyway. I know for amphetamine, speed will make your, your pupils go bigger. Does it make people go bigger or smaller? I thought it was. Well, no. maybe it's smaller than that. I'm not an expert on um, drug taking. Well, maybe, we've, maybe we've ascertained can... that obviously I am. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it That's one of my specialities. Okay, well, it does something to your pupils. So I suppose, <laughs> I suppose there could be an actual explanation to make them so bigger move, then. Moving on from my, um, my drug taking, um, there's another phenomenon that you mentioned mm-hmm. in the book that. Um, I was was interesting. You mentioned in the author's note at the end as well that that you've actually suffered from this um, thing, and until recently, I had never had, but recently I suffered something similar. So I will we'll talk about this. So sleep paralysis, and you have this very scary scene, and this is really good for a sort of a, a Halloween horror type story. This scary scene where Richard wakes up, supposedly. And he sees stuff happening around him in his room, and he's unable to move. And it's terrifying because he's unable to move, and that's the the, the horror of it. And you said in the author's note that you've actually suffered from this. 
it still happens uh, quite often. I've realised that if I fall asleep on my back, it's pretty much guaranteed to happen. So I always just sleep on my side now because it is terrifying. So how? So when it happens in real life, I mean, how does it manifest itself then? So you wake up and you just well, can't you, move. I think it's got to the stage now where I know that I'm asleep, and so I know just, it's okay. I know it's sleep paralysis. Most people are probably having at that stage. I'm 45 now, and I think it first happened when I was about 20. So I've got a lot of experience of this happening to me, where I've come to understand it a bit better. And it's a well-known fact. It, it, it does happen. What happens is you're still asleep. Your body's shut down so you can't harm yourself by acting out your dreams so you won't move. But your brain basically comes awake and you're trying to move then. And you're, So your dreams are real to you, but your body won't let you react to them. So you will be asleep but you'll see somebody coming into your room. And that that's usually what happens to me is I'll sense, I'll know somebody's like a burglar's broke into the house and they're coming towards me in the bed and I won't be able to move. And at this stage in my life, I'll know that it's sleep paralysis, but it's still absolutely terrifying because you can't move and you're fearing this danger's coming. And what I can do nowadays is I'll start to groan and then my wife will wake up and she'll shove me or whatever and, you know, wake me up like that. Yeah, it happens. Uh, it, it does sound it does sound terif- terrifying. It, re- say, it really is. Mm. When I first heard, I first listened to the audiobook of Night of the Cross, I I'd never experienced this, and so I just thought, oh, that's something that happens to someone. <laughs> so, I, so I've caused it for you then. Well, no, I don't think so. So <laughs> I, no, it happened to me before I reread it. It didn't happen to me after right. reading the right. book, but it just made me remember. I'd forgotten about it because it's only happened to me once, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this summer I went on holiday to Prague and we were in Prague and we went to Vienna as well. But in Prague, we went, we, Prague has got a, it's a beautiful city, lovely city and really loved the place and loads of beer and it's all great, but it's got a very dark history. Oh, of course. The time yeah. of the second world war. And the, um, we spent a day visiting lots of the Jewish memorials and things. And it was really harrowing. Um, and, I know I was really upset about it, you know, because it's impossible not to be if you're not a, a mad person. Mm-hmm. Really. When you're reading, you go into go into a synagogue that is just covered in writing, you know, from head, you know, all over all the walls in tiny writing, and it's just the date, the names, and the dates of every single person that was killed from from Prague, um, and the last date they were known to be alive, you know, and it's and it's literally tens of thousands of people, and you know, it's just, what was that, the Nazis? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. during the during the occupation, so they had, um, they, they were, so they yeah they they killed the Nazis came in and killed, you know, basically all the Jews. I mean, it was just awful. Mm. And they had a guy in and the and the anyway, this is kind of going off topic here. But they had a, a the, the the Nazis sent the guy that was um to to run Prague, um, and he was the, he was later known as the butcher of Prague. I mean, he came in and just. He was like the governor or whatever they they called him, and he came in and just basically was killing everybody left, right, and center, and it was just a nutter. And the and the um, the British actually flew in some guys um, to try to assassinate him. And there's a whole thing about they 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 managed to kill him in the end, but then they got caught, and it was, uh, it was just so we went to all this stuff, and we it was it was very interesting but incredibly harrowing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was partly to do with it. So obviously my mind was full of all this, and in the night in the hotel. And we were in the you know city centre, so it's an old building as well, and everything. So I don't know. It's called, you know you start thinking, have places got a residual energy? I don't know. But anyway, it was you know we had a good time. It was all wonderful. But in the night, I I woke up where I felt like I was awake, and I was sure that there was an evil presence in the room approaching me, and I couldn't move. Yeah, and it spoke to me. It whispered to me, or spoke to me, and it was just I can't remember what it said now. But I just was, it was absolutely terrifying because I was convinced that there was somebody like, you know, his head in the darkness of the room was like you five inches away yourself. from my face whispering, you know, I'm going to kill you or something. You know, it's really yeah, horrible, words, yeah, yeah, really I, terrifying. But you don't hear the words, you don't know what's said. I, I can't what remember now what it was saying, but I was just absolutely terrified. And I remember waking up and later on, you know, that mm-hmm. night or that morning and just thinking, oh my God, that was awful. But this only time it's happened to me, I wonder if it was to do with all the... That You're day. really oppressive atmosphere. 
and just being just yeah. Well, could be. Yeah, you're obviously influenced by what you've read and stuff. I had, yeah. There was one time I've had all these various sleep paralysis experiences over the years, and it, they're always the same or similar. I know what it is, and when I wake up properly, I know what exactly what it was. But I had one when I was again about twenty one or something, and I I woke up or I thought I woke up and I saw an alien walking out the room. And the scary thing was, it never felt like sleep paralysis. It was different. And I can't remember how I knew, but I looked at the clock or something, and I could see it. And then a few seconds later, I genuinely woke up, and I looked at the clock, and it was right. It was the same as what it had been during the sleep paralysis. And it was as if, I'm actually getting a bit of a cold shiver here just now. It was totally that. It was as if I'd actually woke up and seen an alien walking out my bedroom. And it was, that was really scary. But I was so into UFO books and stuff at the time that I'm sure my mind just created it. But that so was different. That was the, the only one time that was different from all the other sleep paralysis. The important question here is, were you anal no. probed? <laughs> well, I don't think so. Who knows? Uh, well, let's go to Ken of Cain. Like the Christians and the Americans, you ripped me off with Ken of Cain. Although you didn't really, did you? It was more Beowulf. Uh, yeah, well, there's the... It's it's a very veiled... <laughs> it's, it's not very... It's a very thinly veiled retelling of the Beowulf um, story. Um, and Beowulf, of course, being the seminal old English epic saga. And... Uh, there's we don't know when Beowulf was written. It mentions some real people in the story. Um, so uh, they know that it was written after those people had lived, obviously. Um, Hugelak, I think, is the name of one of the people. And the diff there's different, you know, Hrothgar or whatever. There's different people that we know really existed. So they know it's after that. But I, I had this theory and this thought, and I thought, what about if? It was actually not written where I think often they say it was written um, down in the East Anglia or something. But I said, well, let, let's imagine it wasn't written there, um, in, but it was actually the story came from Northumbria in the time just just around the time of my books of the Benicia Chronicles, and it could become a prequel to the Benicia Chronicles. And so it it lent itself to being a spooky story. As I said, I'd read your novella and I decided this was a great idea. I was going to write some novellas in between the novels to kind of do palate cleansing on myself. This would be great. Um, I've just since discovered that novellas don't sell at all. And so I didn't actually bother doing any more because <laughs> it's just a total waste of time. <laughs> well, uh, you're right. They don't sell as much as the novels. Mine don't either. But I just quite like doing them. They're fun. Yeah, and, and I have since written one novella set in the 19th century that I wrote earlier this year, and I did enjoy writing that as well. So they are really enjoyable to do, but they're still hard work, like you said. I mean, it yeah. still took me still six have weeks to or something to write yeah. this 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 novella. Um, and so it's you know it's a, it's a chunk of work because if you're not going to sell it or not going to make much money out of it, it feels difficult to to do it. But um, but yeah, so the idea was I'll do this sort of spooky story. Um, with the unknown, this fear of the unknown, the fear of the monsters, fear it's 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 set in winter time. So, you know, there, there's someone, there's something out there killing the sheep, killing people. Well, I think it's killed a few sheep or livestock, and then it starts killing people. And of course, at that point, the king says, "We better go and send someone out to investigate and put a stop to this um, this monster, this night um, stalker, this nichtgänger um, that is out there." Um, killing people and so that's really the story and it's Beobrand's brother Octa is sent out with um, Bassus and a few others and they go off as a little band of warriors in search of what's doing yeah, what's doing the killing the first time I read it I never realised how close it was to the Beowulf story so I've never read Beowulf in the text but I've seen the Ray Winston movie and I must have watched it after your story because I never realised it. It was only when I read it this week that it struck me how similar it was. But, I mean, it's a great idea because Beowulf's a brilliant story and you've just basically put your characters and your location into a brilliant story. So 
you end up with a brilliant story, and it's it's a fun read. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, it is basically just a retelling. It's kind of like an imagining what the real story could be if you mm. know, if Grendel was not a monster and if it was in real life. You know how how do how do these myths come about? Yeah, is there is there someone you know has has there been a, is there a serial killer or some sort of psychopath or something around that actually becomes this. Um, yeah, there's some true event or true character that exactly, then gets yeah, exaggerated yeah. and exaggerated over years and yeah. becomes this yeah. bizarre it, figure. Exactly that. And I was sort of thinking around the thing of the um, the period of Jack the Ripper in the 19th century and how everything got blown out of proportion then. And so a few people get murdered <laughs> and the, 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 the story sort of becomes more and more outrageous and people begin to put, you know, wonder what this person can be. Is it, you know, is it some devil worship you know going on is there and, who is it that's doing these things and people imagine all sorts of and that's another jack another jack jack, jack the ripper to go with a stingy jack exactly spring hill yeah. jack spring hill jack time. yeah a lot of these jacks are crazy crazy and of but course yeah, the it's other... definitely a good story sorry well, no, I was just going to say the other link to, of course, um, Beowulf uh, and Bear Brand is the Bear at the name, so the sort of the play on words there of his name, and the fact that Bear Brand's sword. So this all happened actually. I it was inspired. I was inspired to write a novella because of your novella, but the reason that I actually chose to write that story is I remember that a reader called James Webb, not the telescope, but a reader. Um, contacted me and asked me if the sword that Beobrand has or acquires in the Serpent Sword, which is called Hrunting or Hrunting, he said, is it the Hrunting from Beowulf? And I'd taken the name from Beowulf of the sword because there's a couple of swords that are named in Beowulf and I'd taken this name of the sword from Beowulf because I thought, what's what's a real name of an old English name for a sword? And I found this, there's not many. In, there's not much written, you know, about in, in old English. So this is one of the few that's really a name of a sword from old English. So I thought, well, I'll use that. And you thought and it, no, nobody would ever notice? Well, I don't know. I just sort of in the back of my mind, I thought it's, it's fine. You know, I'll just use. It. But I didn't specifically link. I didn't think there was. You know, he was Beowulf. I just had this thing. But then I thought, well, oh, hang on a minute. What if it? Because is, is it the sword from Beowulf? And I thought, well, what if it is? That's a perfect what if it idea. Is the sword? And I thought, okay, Easter so, egg. And there's if people read the whole series, there's there's later on, and this nobody really I don't think has pulled up on this, but later on there's a book where something happens with Beobrand's sword, and there's another sword, and that is again my nod to Beowulf, and the fact that this that the, the saga is obviously Beobrand's story is nothing like Beowulf's by this point. And he's doing all these different things, but the fact that the sword names have similarities and things happen to the swords, uh, similar to what happens to the swords in Beowulf, it just seemed like a way of continuing this sort of—I don't know—the the, the the poem or the the, the, the story of Beowulf. Yeah, you know, added what, interest for anyone who would notice. Yeah, with nobody seems to nobody seems to have noticed. <laughs> I'm sure people have; they've just never never mentioned it yet. I did watch the movie uh, Beowulf and Grendel. I think it is that what it's called. Is that the one with um, uh, the um, other, the other Scottish Gerard guy? Butler? Yeah, from just up the road from me. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was quite good. Uh, it's obviously quite old because I've written down here pre CGI question mark because that's what it looks like. So I'm assuming it is. So it's an interesting question. Is they decided they decided not to use any CGI. It was actually made in the early noughties. It was made after the Lord of the Rings movie, so there was definitely lots of CGI out there. And they made a conscious decision to film everything on location with physical props, physical buildings. They built... It was all filmed in Iceland. Um, why, they, though? I don't, you told me that, but I don't understand yeah. why they filmed it in Iceland, because it's not set in Iceland. It's not set in Iceland, but they decided that they were... Because of, because of the landscape was amazing. It's the same as right. the Northman is all filmed in Iceland. It's because Iceland looks great. But Iceland hadn't even been settled. By no, the time of Beowulf no, was written, no, so but they just wanted just to make it to look yeah. amazing because you've got these huge cliffs and. The I never even knew that. I only found that uh, Iceland hadn't been settled after you told me it was filmed there. Oh yeah, and I realised then that it hadn't been settled. And I thought that was quite an interesting thing that nobody had ever lived there until I don't know the eleventh century or something, tenth. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, tenth century probably, nine hundreds. So it's a really interesting film because I think that it suffers from being at the very sort of early stages of. Obviously, the first really big CGI movie was um, uh, well, Terminator Two, and then Jurassic Park was the one that totally broke mm-hmm. in like the CGI yeah. stuff in ninety three, ninety four, something around then. So early nineties. So well, Terminator Two must have been before that. Yes, ninety one, ninety two, something right. like that. So it's early, really early nineties is when CGI started to become a thing. By the time that Beowulf and Grendel, the movie was made. CGI was very, very powerful, and you would yes, say we were doing things like, um, you know, Jar Jar Binks and the whole of the Star Wars prequels. I can and see why they decided not to do it, and they decided not to use it. But I think it suffers from the fact that the audience, as an audience member, you're watching it and you're thinking, because well, I remember watching it at the time, and I was thinking, well, this doesn't look that great because you think you're <laughs> used to things looking fantastic, or you know, so it sort of it, it kind of loses everything. It's if it had been made in the 1970s. I think people would have said, wow, this is, you know, it's really amazing. You know, you've, you've done some great stuff with the ship out in the icebergs and stuff like that. But as it is, it just looks like, well, that CG doesn't look very good. You know, I well, the, I think I watched it on Amazon Prime and it was very low resolution. Oh, okay. And I've written down here somehow more authentic because it's not good CGI. So to me, I thought that made it better. It was more well, like Robert of Sherwood or something. Well, I think had... that's what they wanted it to yeah. be like. Well, they it worked it. for me, but maybe only because it was in such low resolution. Maybe if you watched a Blu-ray in HD, it would look horrendous because it'd be obvious that it was just guys wandering around Iceland. Well, I think I, I don't think it's bad because of that. I just think that because I think the I think people expect to see things that are more spectacular. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know that it's not got any CGI, because you knew because I told you before you watched it, but if you don't know that, yeah, you just exactly. watch it and think, well, it could have been, you know, because it was released in the cinema at the time. You know, it was released. It was it was a proper release and everything. It does so look people... low budget, but no, I thought it was quite well. And I've noted down that Gerard Butler looks like Alexander Draymond. Ah, yes. The last kingdom it looks exactly the same. His it's gear if, and everything, yeah. yeah Except if, he's wearing chainmail, which is more but, authentic. Yeah, but you know, the overall look is, <laughs> his, is his exactly costume's the same, more authentic, really. actually, than, than Alexander <laughs> Dream. <laughs> Except he's kept his top on, I've written here. Not that I was disappointed or anything. Maybe I shouldn't have wrote that. Then. Maybe no, moving on. Oh, I've yeah. written down humans equals the monsters. Yes, that's the main no, takeaway that from that the, that's the main takeaway from that story, isn't it? That the yeah. monsters and the scary things really are the humans, and that Grendel is this kin of Cain. Is a he's a he's a, a, a spawn of of Cain or whatever, which is supposedly a giant or some sort of giant people that are left over from some past time, cursed by just Cain. Want who to be left alone, and they just want to be left alone. Yeah, yeah, and they're um, hunted but... down by the evil humans as we always do. We ruin everything. Yes, I think that's that's really well done, that sort of twist in it all. Yeah, I thought it was quite a good movie, but it made me think, just on another point, because we write historical fiction, was Beowulf and things like that historical fiction to the listeners originally? Well, that's really you know? interesting. Is it was it historical fiction or fantasy or a bit of both? Was it the Game of Thrones for the Mead Hall? Mm-hmm. You know, where they just tell Because it stories? would have been set in the past for them. But the past back then was different because 200 years to them, the technology and everything was still the same. So it's not like us, 200 years ago to us, or a 1,000 years ago is a completely different society. Yeah. Than what, even 20 years ago. There is that, there is that. So they would they would have felt lots of kinship with the society, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, it's interesting because... I mean, Beowulf, there's been lots written about Beowulf, but it's got lots of um, Christian allegories and things even the thing of Cain you know obviously Cain coming from the Bible and stuff so you've got lots of Christian um, commentary in the story so it shows that it was after the um, old English speakers had been um, Christianized but it harks harkens back to this warrior culture so although they're Christian they are basically Acting yeah, still like Vikings. Vikings, really. yeah, yeah. They're just, and if you go back, you know, it's it's we're going to fight a, because the bit of of Grend of of Grendel, um, and the, the whole bit with Grendel and his mother and the the hall. That's the bit that I find really exciting and interesting, and that's the bit that most gets converted into other films or in the Kin of Cain, my story. That's really where I focus. 
Um, and the bit later on with the dragon and stuff kind of gets forgotten a bit, but that's very Tolkien, I suppose, as well, when he goes and fights a dragon, a fire-breathing dragon and at the yeah, end of the story. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's this martial warrior-like world that they're portraying. I don't know if it was historical fiction, but definitely... It's definitely similar it's to It's definitely harkening back to like. aspirational almost, like this is what life used to be like, how great yeah. it was. You know, the great the time in the middle... Yeah, yeah, these warriors and well, the camaraderie, and then get out and kicking everybody's ass, and then coming back and having a good drink together. And and the whole thing of the honor of the of the warrior, and how this is like the ideal king. You know, he was good. He was God Kooning. He was good king. You know, he was a so he 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 goes and fights, and, and at the end, even though he's he knows he's going to die, he goes off and stands and fights mm. against the dragon, gives up his life for his people, sort of thing, because he was a good king. Gave. It just shows that with stories back then we still like the, the same stuff. Absolutely. And me and you are still writing the same stuff that we're writing. It's slightly depressing, actually, when you think it like that. <laughs> well, I don't think I think we've we sort of come full circle on this, you know, this that discussion. And I think um I think you're right. I mean, what has changed in the world? Nothing really. I mean, you look at the current um current the affairs, wars, yeah. We've we've had the- we've had in the last two or three years, we've got war, plague. Um, intrigue at court, you know, with people, you know, backstabbing each other in in part in parliament politics, yeah. whatever. It, nothing's changed. It's just the technology around <laughs> around it has changed. But people are still trying to gain power. We've got you know Putin invading other countries, North We've Korea, North Korea, saber rattling, and um, and we've had and we've even as I said, we've even had a plague. Just so history really hasn't changed. We just need Grendel to appear. Well, that maybe we've got we've got our own house. share. Of, we've got enough monsters. I don't think we need. We don't need to have fantasy monsters. We've got the human monsters. Just unless like of unless you want to read a fantasy monster, you can read uh, Matthew's Kin of Cain, and my own Knight of the Cross. They're both excellent. On that note, especially mine. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So. <laughs> Let's move on to our final questions of the of the episode. What have you been reading and what have you been watching this week? I think we know what you've been reading. Yeah, I've been reading Kin of Cain, which well, is actually, good. I don't remember if I paid for it at the time, but it's, I'm sure it's free on Kindle Unlimited. Is that about right? Pretty sure it is. If you've got Kindle Unlimited, it'll be free. And it's also yeah. available in audiobook as well, but that's not free. But if you've got access to that. That's worth with a look and as always I've been reading more research books for my next series which I will be announcing soon although Ooh. by the time you hear this I'll probably have announced it but the contract is hopefully about to be signed for a new series by me contract being signed so that means is this a scoop here on the this means not self-publishing no this, unless it's the publisher don't like it <clears throat> When I deliver the first book to them, but no. Well, I think once the contract's signed, that's it. Well, I haven't so, signed it yet, that's what I mean. Yeah. So uh, it should be with a publisher, but I wouldn't mention it because I haven't signed the contract just yet, and I won't tell you what it's about in case somebody steals my idea. So yep. that's what I've been reading was the research, loads of research books uh, and audible books and stuff, but great fun. And I've also been watching Cobra Kai, uh, which you recommended ages ago, and yeah. I don't particularly like it, but I've been drawn into it because it's, it's just it's, uh, it's quite well done. It's one of those things that it's kind of like chewing gum for the brain. It's, it's fun. It, it's fun. You can't, and it's it's made in such a way that it always ends in a cliffhanger. Yeah, it makes you want yeah, to watch want the to, next exactly. episode. The episodes are short, and the characters are are interesting. Yeah, they're really good. The nostalgia is there for us. Um, yeah, it's great. What about you then? Well, I have been um, watching Cobra Kai as well because normally I binge. I used to binge watch the seasons when they came out with my daughter, but she's just turned nineteen and she still watches them with me. But she's so busy now; she's working um, every hour of the day and night, and so I don't see her as often. So I'm going through the episodes quite slowly. So I'm only, I think, we're like halfway through the series at the moment. Well, this um, is why but, I'm watching it, actually. It's my daughter. She has it yeah. on all the time, but she's usually sitting on her phone. <laughs> well, that's and then the she goes out the room and I'm like, well, I'm not turning this off. I want to know what happens now. 
yeah. Well, I think probably secretly my daughter's already watched it all the way through, and I'm just and she's yeah, just... mine has, yeah, she has, and my wife. Yeah. So, and I've been reading um, Warrior and Protector, the first book in the Saxon Warrior series by Peter Gibbons, who it's an arc of that, an advanced reader copy. And uh, I was sent because he's now being, this is his first book that's going to be published by a traditional publisher. So like you, he started self-publishing, but unlike you, he only started self-publishing like a year and a half ago or something. And it seems to have taken the historical fiction world by storm. We published about four books in that, and, that time. Somehow. And now this book is coming out, published by Boldwood Books. And Boldwood is made up of people that used to work for... Aria and head of Zeus, and then I'm sure there's other people now, but I think it was formed or started by um, my ex-editor who moved on there. So I'm still in contact with her, and she asked me if I would read this book, and I am reading it, and I'm enjoying it. Um, and it should be out probably by the time this comes out, it will already be released. I think it's coming out in October sometime, but um, it's action, adventure, Saxons killing Vikings, that's pretty much all you need to know. Sounds good. Uh, um, uh, what's what's the word? Um, a tormented main character, you know, with struggling with his with his past and and exorcising his demons by killing Vikings. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So, moving on from what we've been reading and watching, have you been listening to anything new this week? No, nothing in particular, just the usual extreme metal stuff that I listen to when I'm writing and the Audible uh, Great Courses stuff that I think I mentioned in the last episode It's for research, but that's it. So what have you been listening to? Well, obviously listening to Night of the Cross, which was um, very good. And music-wise, I've been listening to Slade, which, of course, is a very old band that, and it's sort of rock slash pop I'm somewhere in there quite rocky in its old incarnation back yeah, in the 70s uh, yeah. i never really listened to them apart from the obvious christmas you know merry christmas song well that that's the thing matthew it's, it's not christmas it's halloween so you're in the wrong episode oh, i'm in the wrong episode but i haven't really been listening to the to the christmas thing i i listened to the rock on tours interviewing noddy holden and um, right. or noddy holder noddy holder anyway Holder, yeah, it's Holder. Holder, Holder. Holder. Yeah. Anyway, and um, it was really interesting. Um, he's really great raconteur on the raconteurs. He told lots of great stories, and I didn't realise that they had a movie in 1975 called Slade on Fire, and I haven't watched it yet, but I found it for free on YouTube. It is there, because it's not on any of the streaming services. I tried to find it, but... Um, I found it on YouTube and I'm going to watch it because it looks and sounds very interesting. It's about sort of, it's like a fictionalized version of their life in music, but the story behind it sounded really great in that they had a couple of guys who wanted to write a movie with them in it. And they came on tour with Slade to America for a couple of weeks before they had nervous breakdowns and then left. But then they wrote this movie and and the guys from Slade appear in the movie and wrote some original songs for it and everything. And it sounds extremely familiar, Matthew. Well, 1975. Did they get stuck in a cocoon I, at any point? No, but it was... Or um, any it was tiny stone hens? Some of, the, some of Slade's um, moments. This is... It's not like that. I, I've watched the first five minutes and it's very sort of cinema verite of the 1970s. So you're seeing sort of real sort of behind the scenes sort of, I don't know, like a... a, a wedding party in 1975 and like a band playing having a fight and stuff it just really tiny sandwiches yeah yeah and just it just looked really interesting and so quite nostalgic and them doing the, the, the just writing and just great songs as well and so i listened to, i've been listening to all their sort of greatest hits and obviously they've got some amazing songs they were like huge back yeah, in they the were early pretty, but the uh, the spelling was atrocious <laughs> Yeah, I did notice their affectation of spelling things wrong became a bit ridiculous as the, the <laughs> as the songs came further along. They just get more and more stupid. But yeah, come on, feel the noise. What a great, great, um, great songs. Uh, well, it's that good that my daughter sings it all the time. I don't know who it is. Somebody's done a cover version. It was um, of it. Quiet Riot did a cover. No, no, oh, it's the, no, oh, no, 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 later. no, no. No, because I keep telling. I listen to those two. They're better. Yeah, no, this is a modern one. Okay. I don't know who it is. Some. Arctic Monkeys or something. Oh, I don't know. Some well, the original more was modern. fantastic. 
Yeah, well, that's what I keep saying. And then she says, well, you keep saying that every time you hear it. Well, that's exactly what happens with me and my daughters. Yeah, that is a good song. In fact, the <laughs> other day, <laughs> we can end on this note talking of daughters. The other day, How I, got boring sent, we I, are. Got a, I got sent a TikTok <laughs> by my eldest daughter. And the TikTok was just a clip from Lord of the Rings, um, the, the Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, no, no, it's the two, uh, it must be the two towers, actually. Yeah, the two towers when Aragorn. Um, when when they they find the, the the dead bodies and stuff of the orcs and there's helmets around oh, yeah, and he yeah. kicks the helm and he screams and the TikTok just said when you watch this with um with someone for the first time and you have to tell them that Aragorn actually the actor Vigo Mortensen broke his toe when he kicked the the helmet and my daughter sent me this thing and she said first time she says every time yes <laughs> <laughs> so I thought okay. <laughs> has to be done it has to be done that's it for today's episode we hope you've enjoyed it please let us know if you have any questions or things you'd like us to cover in future episodes you can contact us on the facebook page which is facebook.com slash rock paper swords podcast or on twitter at rock underscore swords you can find out more about our books and everything that's going on matthewharfey.com and stephenamackay.com we're both also on Twitter and Facebook, so drop in onto those sites and say hello to us. The theme music is written and performed and copyrighted by Stephen A. Mackay and Matthew Harfey. Until next time, a rock, paper, swords. It's goodbye from me, Matthew Harfey. And it's goodbye from me, Stephen A. Mackay. You've fallen asleep then, haven't you? I was thinking about stuff. And remember, <laughs> whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind. Stay safe. And happy reading. Thank <laughs> you.